Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. Okay, so yesterday on the air, my fellow brothers raked me for using a word that I shouldn't have used. Um, All I can say is Josh is pitiful. (laughs) (laughs) So it just shows you I'm reading too many Puritans because they would say things like God is pitiful. And that totally means something different than what we would mean today. Right, Phil? Can you back me up on this a little bit? Yes, I can back you up on that. Um, So what they meant is that he's full of pity. Amen. That's right. So if I slip like that again, you just need to Which forgive me. Which is different than Josh yeah. is pitiful. Yeah. We'll just, <laughs> Absolutely. We'll just remember that, that Josh likes to – Josh rarely reads a book that isn't less than 200 years old. So, yeah. Is that a bad thing? That's not a bad thing at all. Okay. Um, so um, on the air today, we have, again, a guest host with us, uh, Pastor Ben Blakey at Compass Bible Church. Yes, thanks so much for having me on. Excited to talk about theology with you guys. We're glad you're here. I have to say your name slow every time because I want to mispronounce it on the inside. Don't worry. I have Little League trophies that say Ben Blakely on them, okay. so you would not be the first. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> um, again, uh, we just ask you to lift up uh, Pastor Jonathan and pray for him as he's uh, – going through um, colon cancer right now and, and uh, the radiation and chemo with that. Um, he is a pastor at uh, Dayspring Reformed Church, and so I'm sure him and his family and his church would appreciate your prayers. All right, so we have been trekking through these questions from our listeners um, on the sovereignty of God, and today we come to question number three. Is that right, guys? Yes. Okay. Here we are. So here goes. Here's the question. How is a belief in the sovereignty of God in all matters different from fatalism or determinism? I would just like to start by talking about something that I've heard R.C. Sproul um, say numerous times, that the confusion happens in the fact that we com- uh, have in competition God's sovereignty and man's uh, autonomy. And so what we can say is we can't say that man is completely autonomous because then God can't be sovereign. But we can say that God is sovereign and allow man to have some um, autonomy. So what we're saying is that man cannot have an unrestrained free will and still talk of the sovereignty of God. But we can say that man has a limited free will and speak of the sovereignty of God. And so I think if you keep those in mind, it helps with the, with the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and God's, sovereignty is, is, God's sovereignty is much greater, so much greater than we can imagine, that what it means is that he takes all of our choices and uses them to achieve his will. Um, 
that God's God's sovereignty is so great and and so infinite that it's not dependent on our free choices, even though we have them. That uh, we make all kinds of decisions and choices, good and bad, and God works them together for His good purpose. But we're not saying that God is using our choices like a person who's playing chess uses pieces on the right, board, right? Um, because that that's actually that's actually a pretty popular view of God's sovereignty today. It's actually called open theism, where right. God is just the master chess player. Yeah, exactly. Um, yes, and He's merely. I'm using that word carefully. Right, right. He's merely using our choices as opposed to planning and purposing all things in the universe. Right, maybe, right. maybe we could define God's sovereignty. How would you define that, Ben? I mean, you see the word reign in there. God's sovereignty is that he's the king, that he is ultimately in control over what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's probably a lot more theological terms you could use in there, but I think if I was explaining that person on the street, yeah. God's the king. He's in control is what I would want to tell them. Okay, so yeah. then let's circle back to this question then. How is a belief in the sovereignty of God in all matters? Because that's what we are saying, right? right. How is that different from fatalism or determinism? Maybe we should define those terms real quick. What is, what is fatalism? Well, I think both of those terms are basically getting across the point that human choices do not matter, that everything is determined. It removes the element of human responsibility yeah. from the equation. Yeah. There's there's an old joke about the Calvinist that w- woke up in the morning and he was going to walk downstairs to get his coffee and he tripped and he rolled all the way down the stairs and he landed on his head at the bottom of the stairs and he slowly picked himself up and wiped his brow and said, I'm glad that's over. <laughs> um, that's fatalism. That... You, you know, I didn't have any choice about whether or not I fell down the stairs in the morning because God ordained it, and I just have to have to endure it. Well, no, that's not the way God's sovereignty works. Uh, although God does sovereignly ordain and rule and over, overrule in everything that comes to pass, mm-hmm. uh, but not in such a way that totally erases our choices and decisions. Uh, but once again, I don't want to lapse into, as Josh was warning early, we don't want to lapse into what's you know popularly called, well, I shouldn't say popularly, maybe you've never heard this term before, but open theism, yeah. you know, that God is the master chess player. No, God's yeah. more than that. God is ordaining everything that comes to pass. But, well, and it came in a popular form. There was a book uh, several years ago, probably anger some of my listeners, our listeners, Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. Oh, yeah. There you go. And that's like the popular form of open theism, at least parts of the book, because he talks about the God who takes risks. Right. And it sounds very romantic and, you know, brave and courageous and all that stuff, but it's actually a bunch of garbage. God doesn't take risks. God doesn't need to take risks because he's God. Right. And Russ mentioned a book yesterday as we were wrapping up the program, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God by J.I. Packer. And I think that is very helpful because he talks about, you know, God is sovereign and humans are responsible. The Bible teaches both of those truths and there's no way around it. There's some tension between those truths. And if we try to resolve that tension one way or the other, we're going to find ourselves in, in trouble. And that's why I think for Christians, it's 
always so important that we rely on God's word. Mm -hmm. What does the Bible clearly say? And we lean on that instead of getting too far into what makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's we're going to fall into trouble one way or the other. Yep. Amen. And I, I think there's always this, this tension of how God's sovereign rule um, that he does rule over all things, and our choice go hand in hand. And so theologians would, would talk about this idea of concurrence, that as God is sovereignly ruling, man also has free choice, and they're always kind of touching one another as we go throughout our lives. But um, I think it, what's important to know is that every sinful choice of man is because of his free will and desire to commit that particular um, act or have that thought or engage in whatever activity, that every time sin occurs, it's because God um, didn't force them, didn't require them, didn't make them. Every evil choice is because um, that was what we wanted. That's what we wanted to do. God is not coercing us to act against our will. It, we've made a we've made a choice as it pertains to his sovereignty as as our wills and and his continue to interact and engage with one another yeah and so this is how i mean it's just part of a larger question of how is evil if god is sovereign yeah well it's because god is not forcing evil can I read this? Uh, I, I love. Yep. I know it's very technical and theologically, um, you know, worded. But this is a Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter One, and it's just paragraph. Sorry, Chapter Three, Paragraph One. It says, "God from all eternity did, by the most wise and holy counsel of His own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Yet so, as thereby neither is God the author of sin." Nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, meaning he's not compelling creatures against their will, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. Now I want to use an illustration because I know that was wordy, but an illustration of this is from Acts chapter 27 when Paul is at um, at sea and they're they're headed to Rome and they have like 14 days of this storm-tossed you know nightmare. And the sailors have all given up hope. And what happens? Lo and behold, uh, an angel of the Lord stands by him in the middle of the night. And he says, um, do not be afraid, Paul, for you must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted to you all of those who sail with you. So there it is right there. The decree of God, everyone's going to survive on the boat. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is that some sailors try to jump in a life raft and lower themselves down to the ocean. And, and Paul looks at the centurion and he says, unless these men stay on the ship, you cannot be saved. And, and you're like, wait a second. I thought you already said that everybody's already going to be saved. And, th- and this is exactly what the confession here means by, by God decrees all things and yet means are not destroyed. Yeah, God's going to save everybody on the ship. And the means for that to happen is that everybody must stay on the ship. And then what happened? Centurion called them back up, and then everybody was saved, just as God said. Right. So, you know, even in our salvation, you see this language in the New Testament where he, where, where the apostles are often admonishing believers to continue steadfast in the faith. Why? Because the means of believing is required to continue to be saved. Does God guarantee that? 
Yes, for all of his elect, for all of those who have been justified, he guarantees that. What, what are the ways that he guarantees it? By continuing to hear the word preached. Right, right. That, that reminds me also of the commandment, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good. And anyway, um, because the question might be asked, why, why do I need to work out my salvation if it's a done deal and it's all God's decision and God elected me? And Well, n- well no. My, my response to God's electing love is to work out my salvation. And that's the means that he has ordained for me to come to him. And I think that's where we got to get back to the Bible. What does it say? And read the New Testament. Does yes. it teach election, predestination? Absolutely. Is it fatalistic? Was Jesus fatalistic? No, he commanded people to repent. Was Paul fatalistic? No, he evangelized, encouraged others to evangelize. He prayed uh, believing that the prayer made a difference, yes. and he was concerned about apostasy. There was nothing fatalistic yeah. uh, about, and there's nothing fatalistic about the New Testament. Yeah, yeah I'm reminded of the one of my favorite invitations from Jesus. It's in the seventh chapter of John's Gospel, uh, where it says, On the last and great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said, If anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. Anyone. That invitation is as broad as all humanity, mm-hmm. and it's as narrow as one Savior. Mm-hmm. Come to me yes. and drink. And he's echoing the sentiment of Isaiah. Yeah. I mean, he's really using the words of the Old Testament. And so cover to cover, you've got a God that is saying, come, buy yeah. without money and yeah. without price. Real quick, if you're interested in understanding a, a, a bit about what fatalism looks like in religion, um, Islam is actually a very fatalistic religion. Um, Allah is – I don't even want to use the word sovereign because because they picture him as so in control that secondary means are completely erased. In fact, there was this illustration where Lorraine Botner, I think, gave this uh, in his book, The the Predestination of God, where you know uh, the difference between the sovereign God of the Bible and the fatalistic God of uh, of Islam is that a boat is sailing and um, somebody falls overboard and um, those who believe in Islam say, oh, Allah, if Allah wills, and the, the Christians are saying, let's throw him a life raft. Let's, yeah. let's save him. Let's save him through the means um, that God has provided. Well, you've been listening to The Gospel for Life. We thank you for listening today. If you have any questions, you can email us at info at, gos, uh, at reformationboise.com. If you'd like to subscribe to our podcast, just search for The Gospel for Life. Make sure you put The Gospel for Life in your iTunes store and you can find us and subscribe. We'll see you next time. 